Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. What a sweet spirit of worship. Aren't you grateful that we can worship the Lord together? Oh, you can do better than that. Come on. Amen. 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 Well, what a joy it is to be here again at Hume Lake. I want to say that it's good to have my wife and our three girls with, with me as well as they get a chance to experience the Lord. And um, what a joy it, it has been just to uh, see Hume Lake Ministries impact my own kids. And um, thank God for that. I bring you greetings from uh, Las Vegas, where the temperature is ungodly. <laughs> praise the Lord for this weather in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. Amen. Hey, praise God. Praise, praise the Lord. Well, what a joy it is. If you can meet me in Psalm 13, if you have a Bible, a digital device, or just a great memory, uh, Psalm, Psalm 13 is where we will uh, dive into our spiritual meal this, this morning. I'm excited just to share the Word of God this week in the teaching series. And I don't really have a series per se, but just want to share the key text of Scripture that the Lord has been dealing with me on. I remember when I first started preaching, my mama used to tell me, she said, boy, if you stay in the Word, you'll always have something to say. You stay in the book, you stay in the Word, you always have something to say. So this week, I want to just highlight just some key texts of Scripture as we just expositionally just walk through God's Word and, and see what He has for us. What a joy it is to know that I have nothing to say except for what God has said. And so, God wrote a book, and we're going to put our nose in it today. And I want us to look at Psalm 13 by way of context. Let me just read to you the first two verses, and what we'll cover the whole psalm in our message today. I'm reading from the ESV. David writes, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? Yeah, that's in the Bible. How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? I want to speak a few moments this morning called The Struggle is Real. Holy Father, what a joy it is to know that we can sit up under your voice, your word. Father, I don't know the challenges my brothers and sisters are facing, but you are well acquainted with every human heart here. And, oh, God, I pray that you would speak. Pray that your spirit will confront us and will challenge us to change so that we won't just be merely hearers of the word, but doers of the word. Help us in our journey, Lord, as we struggle in life. In Jesus' name, amen. If there's ever a statement that is true in our society, especially as it relates to um, the believer, it is a statement that life is hard. Young people, as my grandmama used to say, if, you, if you're not there, just keep on living. Life is hard. I'm a care and teaching pastor at a church in uh, Las Vegas, and I get a chance to oversee the care ministries. And man, I got to tell you, at ground level, ground zero, you, you're seeing the reality that life is hard. We have a grieving mom's ministry, mothers who have lost a child. Life is hard. Grief share ministry of people who have lost spouses for many years. 
friends, trying to cope with life now without them. Life is hard. We have a 12-step program. Journey ministry is what it's called. It's a 12-step discipleship program of people dealing with all types of issues. Life is hard. And yeah, we have benevolence, and when money is funny and change is strange, people hit up the church. Now, you got to discern because not everybody really needs help legitimately. They're trying to, you know, use the church to enhance their pockets. But the reality is people are hurting. We got our deacons who make phone calls, who visit the sick and having to bury people. You see, life is hard. And the question that I get asked a lot And I've asked this question in my pilgrimage on earth and this walk with God. And at times in my life, I've asked this question. I'm pretty sure this question has been asked by many of us here today. And that is, where is God? Where is God? That's a question of passion. It's a question of desperation. But it's not foreign to Scripture. I'm going to say something that might shake our feathers, but we stand on biblical grounds when I say this. David... David feels abandoned by God. Yeah, you just heard a preacher say that at 11.09 a.m. on a Sunday morning. David feels abandoned by God. And in this wonderful psalm, we see movement, a movement that, that comes out of the passion of David's journal entry that's penned for us in Psalm 13. This, this particular text has three main movements. The first movement is David's distress. David is distressed in verse 1 and 2 for four realities or four reasons. Number one, he's distressed because of a prolonged struggle. Four times he asked the question, how long? One version says, until when? Until where? I mean, this isn't a statement of a temporary reality. I mean, this is something that he's been in for a while. He says, how long, here's the question, will you, speaking to God, will you forget me forever? Now understand, learn to read your Bibles in this emotional context. Because here, David is not just talking about something spiritually. He's also talking about something physically. Because if you study his life, he spent conservatively 14 to 17 years running for his life. And scholars agree right now, he's running from his, for his life in the wilderness from the infamous Saul. I've had the privilege of going to Israel a few times, and I've been to the wilderness. I've stood there at En Gedi, and I've seen hundreds and hundreds of caves that David could have hidden in. Uncomfortable. And there he is in a hot, dry, and weary land, running for his life, escaping a spear thrown at him over dinner so that he can try to live. Another day, how long, oh Lord, will you forget me forever? Is there anybody here today that feels that way? Can anybody relate? He's distressed because of a prolonged struggle, but he's distressed, number two, because of a lack of apparent blessing. 
Notice the expression in verse 1b, how long will you hide your face from me? In Scripture, the face of God has the idea of intimacy, favor, blessing. You know what David is saying? Lord, I don't feel close to you. Right now, in this predicament, while I'm running for my life, when I'm not getting the answers that I deserve or I should see, I don't feel this closeness to you. I don't see your favor. I don't see blessing. All I see is one cave after another, one mountainside after another. How long will you hide your face from me? He's distressed. Don't you love the honesty of Scripture? It's not smoke and mirrors. It's not something phony. It's not fake. This is a real struggle. He's struggling because of a prolonged struggle, of a lack of apparent blessing. But it gets even darker here. He's, he's in distress because of dark emotions. Notice in verse 2a, how long must I take counsel? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? This is the epitome of inward wrestling because when, when I'm trying to seek God and I don't hear from him and I'm not getting the answers, the natural default of the human heart is to turn inward and to listen to myself. And by the way, by the way, if I listen to myself, I get myself in a lot of trouble. My feelings are great passengers, but they're horrible drivers. <laughs> and if I'm led by how I feel, that's a bad place to be. That's why you can't listen to this foolish culture of the world we live in. Don't do you. You do you. You will get you in a lot of trouble. <laughs> but God, I'm not hearing from you. So my natural default is start wrestling with myself at night. And the more I wrestle with myself at night, caught up in my feelings, caught up in my emotions, it becomes darker and darker and darker. And darker, he's distressed. He's distressed, number four, because of his enemy. How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? There it is. Lord, it looks right now as if Saul is winning big in my life. You, 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 you anointed me king, but I'm not, I haven't taken that throne yet. I'm still on the run. He's enjoying the air condition. He's enjoying the fruits and berries. He's enjoying the comforts and conveniences. And here I am trying to survive. It looks like Saul is winning. Now, you may not have a Saul coming after you, but we all have a spiritual enemy called Satan coming after us. Of course, he's not omnipresent, but he has his demonic realm, the spiritual forces, the spiritual reality. If all you see is what you see, you have not seen all that there is to be seen. There is an invisible war going on that manifests itself in the physical realm. There is a real enemy. And the truth be told, many of us have come into the house of the Lord this morning defeated. Because it looks as if. Satan is winning big in my private struggles. Satan is winning big in my marriage. Satan is winning big in this battle of the mind. How long, O oh Lord? And so David says in so many words, Lord, you're silent. 
I don't feel close to you. My life is caving in, and the enemy is on my back, and quite frankly, it looks as if he is winning big. This old line old preachers used to say as a kid, I, I remember this, but I didn't really appreciate this until I got older and started living life and started having my own struggles. And the statement is simply this, that when I can't seem to trace God's hand, I got to trust his heart. You hear me today, there will be times in life where it's hard to discern if God's even there. You know, our faith is not based on feeling. We know that. But it can feel as if he's distant. What do we do? What do we do in those moments where it's hard to trace his hand? I got to trust his heart. And I got to give myself these three reminders. Number one, reminder number one is that I have to remind myself when I'm in those moments where God seems distant, I need to remind myself that he loves me deeply. More on that a little bit later. But you know that song, Jesus Loves Me, This I Know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Why? For the Bible tells me so. See, when I feel that distant from God, I got to remind myself that he loves me. I got to remind myself also that God will always bring good out of what I'm going through. Somebody needs to hear that this morning. God will always bring good. But you don't understand. I don't care what the specifics are. He will always, always bring good out of what we are facing. Do you believe that? For God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him, to those who are called according to his purpose. God specializes in a hidden, a bullseye with a crooked stick. God can bring good out of anything. And if he can resurrect a dead Jesus, don't you think he can resurrect anything in your life? See, I have to remind myself that he loves me deeply. I have to remind myself that he will bring good out of what I'm facing. And also, I have to remind myself that God is always with me. He's always with me. But yet in the struggle, there's this distress, there's this grind, there's these feelings. And I have to remind myself of these things. But the second move in the text is that David moves from his distress to now his plea for deliverance. Typical David fashion. I love this. Notice what he says in verse 3. Consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. Watch this. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Three urgent requests. He says, consider. One version says, look on me. My baby girl, middle, middle daughter, Brianna, who's here, she's 13 years old. When she was, a little, when she was little, about two or three, her, her, her L's would sound like W's. And whenever she would want to get my attention, she would come and she would call my name over and over and over again. And a lot of times I, I, I hear her, but I'm just messing with her. She'll come and say, Daddy, 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 Daddy. I act like I don't hear her. I act like I don't hear her. Little, her, little, her little two feet come and come and walk into me. She'll stand in front of me. She'll grab my cheeks and say, Daddy, 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 look at me. 
Look at me, Daddy. Look at me. She would say that over and over and over until I would turn and look at her. That's what David's saying, Daddy, look at me. Well, don't you see my mess? Don't you see the chaos? Don't you see the tears? Don't you see the diagnosis? Don't you see the health report? Don't you see my struggle in my marriage? Don't you see, oh God? Consider. But then he says, answer. Hmm. <laughs> by the way, by the way, I love this. I love this. the implication here is that I have no other option. That's a great place to be. When God is our only option, that's a great place to be because God specializes in pushing us in a corner where he's the only option because he don't want nobody else to get the glory. Answer me. Answer me, God. You're my only hope. The tears streaming down my face. You're my only option. Which leads David to the third reality. He says, light up my eyes. Oh, we don't see this in the English, but the Hebrew expression, when he says, light up my eyes, or one version says, give light to my eyes, the Hebrew expression is, is two-sided. On one side of the coin, it means to preserve me. Lord, I don't want to lose my mind. So God, I need you to keep me in perfect peace. As my mind is stayed on you, I need you as I'm going through this struggle, I need you to preserve me. But the other side of the expression, give light to my eyes, I love this, it's the idea of divine wisdom and perspective. In other words, Lord, I need your, your truth to bear on what I'm going through. I, I can't look at TikTok. I, I, I can't look at the latest fad. I can't look at the news. I have to turn my attention to you, which means I get my nose in your book, and I need your wisdom to be downloaded to my spirit so I can navigate the crucible of life. Give light to my eyes. Because God, if you don't preserve me, if you don't give me divine wisdom, he says, lest I die, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. Oh, church, we are dependent upon the Lord, and we desperately need him. That's why he says, lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. Lord, I don't want the enemy to get the last word. You alone get the last word. You get the last word. We've all have seen that show or heard of that show, Intervention. It's a show where people are strung out on drugs, made some bad choices in, the, in that regard. In the family, they are gripped by their loved one's addiction. And so they plan an intervention with a professional. And, and that scene is always moving when you got people coming in to, to gather around the person who's strung out. And the tears and the pleading for them to get the help that they need is there. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. And I wonder, is there anybody here today that desperately needs God to intervene in their life? Because God will make sure that in our lives, we will have many moments where we cry out for a divine intervention. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down.
And that's what David's saying. Lord, I'm distressed, but I'm pleading for deliverance. I need a divine intervention. Don't lose heart, my brother. Don't lose heart, my sister. Keep praying, and in God's time, not our time, in God's time, not our time, he will respond. I once heard a preacher say that he has found God very slow at his demands. God is seldom early, but he's never late. It's an old song we used to sing back in the, in the church I grew up in. He's an on-time God. Yes, he is. He may not come when you want him, but he will be there right on time. You got to preach that to yourself. God will come through. He will come through. But we need to lean in and not lose heart. So David's first move is his distress. His second move is his plea for deliverance. In typical David fashion, you see this uh, incredibly consistently in his life and in his prayers. He moves, number three, to his decision. He brings it back full circle, which lets me know it's okay to express my feelings to God. But we don't need to stay there. We need to have a movement. And that's what David models for us. He gives two dynamic resolutions. First resolution and is found in verse 5. Notice what he says. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. There's the resolution. Number one, I will trust. I will trust but I, but I, transitional clause, grammatical clause, signifying that a change of focus has now shifted. I'm not focusing on my feelings anymore. I'm focusing on my great God. But I have trusted. Wouldn't it be a great series to go through the Bible on the great big butts of the Bible? <laughs> this is one of them. But I have trusted. Here it means that I have Trusted meaning I have chosen to put the, my complete weight and being on the Lord. Oh, hallelujah. I'm going to put everything into the Lord. I'm going I'm to put my confidence in the Lord. But I have trusted, here it is, in your steadfast love. Your faithful love, the Hebrew word has said, which is likened to agape. By the way, th th this idea of love is beyond our comprehension. The human finite mind cannot fully comprehend the love of God. It's overwhelming. It's like trying to describe holiness. It's like trying to describe the deity of Jesus Christ. He's 100% God, 100% man, yet without mixture. One minute he's asleep, next minute he's walking on the sea. Don't think about it too much or your head will explode. He's God. The idea of love here is a love that is mind-blowing. It is a love that chased him down when he didn't want to be caught. It was a love that pursued him with patience. It was a love that said, I'm committed to you, David. Even when you've been unfaithful to me, I'm going to be faithful to you. That's the love that blows my mind. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. David says, no matter what, Lord, you've been good to me. Oh, he's been good. Oh, he's been good. Your love is overwhelming. And for this, I rejoice. 
By the way, joy isn't based upon happenings, right? Joy is happiness in spite of one's happenings. And the world can't give you joy because joy is supernatural. It's, it's a gift of the Holy Spirit. It's that, it's that stirring afresh your love and affection for God that only comes from above. It's that love, he says, I will rejoice. I will rejoice. So, Lord, even though I'm going through, <laughs> resolution number one, I will trust. And resolution number two, verse six. I will sing to the Lord. Why? Why, David? Because he has dealt bountifully with me. David says, I'm going to sing. It's a translation of praise. I'm going to talk about praise this evening in our teaching series, but it's the idea of praise. As I will sing. Some of, some of y'all in here might say, well, I can't sing. That's okay. The Bible has a verse for you. Make a joyful noise. <laughs> Sounds good to the Lord. It might sound bad to your spouse, but it sounds good to the Lord. <laughs> Sing with your off-key self in Jesus' name. Well, the idea of singing is expression of praise. Why? Why, why, David? Because God has dealt bountifully with me. You know, if you start thinking about God's goodness in your life, as one preacher would say, if you start thinking, you'll start thanking. God has dealt bountifully with us. And David says... I was saying, maybe he thought about God hunting him down through the prophet Samuel as he was minding his own business, shepherding sheep. Maybe he thought about those early years. He started thinking about God's love for him and then God's commitment to him. David says, I'm going to praise you. Oh, David is a, is a worshiper. And David models for us that we can praise God even when all hell has broken loose. Don't wait to praise God when everything's going well. Praise him right there in the midst of your dysfunction. Praise him right there in the midst of the, of the diagnosis. Praise him right there in the midst of our anxiety, in the midst of our worry, in the midst of our stresses, because God understands. Praise him, child of God. Praise him. So what then is the point of this psalm? What then is the big idea of the psalm? You ask great questions on a Sunday morning. Here's the message. If you, ask, if you want to know what the preacher talked about, here's my sermon in one sentence. Here it is. No matter what I'm currently facing, God's grace will keep me. There it is. That's the sermon in a sentence. No matter what I'm currently facing, God's grace will keep me. You do realize that it was the hand of God that woke you up this morning. You do realize that it was the grace of God that allowed us to worship him today. You do realize that it's the grace of God that keeps us, right? So here's a question I want to answer for the remainder of our time. And the, the question is this. How do we, how do we, or how do I regain a sense of God's grace when I'm going through a rough season? How do we, how do I Regain a sense of God's grace when I'm going through a rough season. Let me give you four quick answers. Obviously, there could be more. The first thing that comes to mind is this. We need to review. Review. I already tipped my hand to this earlier. But I want to challenge us to do 
homework assignment at some point this week, when you got some downtime in, in this beautiful, beautiful, beautiful place, I want to encourage you to write down at least 10 ways God has been good to you this past week. Review that. Sometimes I think we have spiritual amnesia. We tend to forget. And one of the exercises I try to do personally is journal that keeps me in the habit of just writing my personal prayers to the Lord, not every single day, but try to be consistent. Why? Because I need to be reminded of his grace, of his patience. So if you and I want to regain a sense of God's grace in our life, we need to review, review God's goodness. Number two, we need to get out. I'm not talking about the movie. I'm talking about get out of ourselves. See, the natural default, and I've seen this as a pastor over the years, the natural default of all of us is when we're going through something, we like to isolate. You know, let me just get, we turn inward. But here's the problem that I've seen over the years. When people that I've noticed who retreat, uh, they push people away, and then they get mad when nobody comes see them. I'm, and I'm telling them, hey, but you're the one that pushed everybody away. Hear me today. If you're going through something, that's not the time to be isolated. That's the time to lean into a brother, lean into a sister, lean into some prayer warriors. We weren't created to go through life alone. And if I want to get a sense of God's grace in my life, I have to get out of myself and serve God and serve others. Because I'm not the only one going through something. This room is filled with jacked up people who's going through something. Yes, we all are jacked up in Jesus' name. So we need to get out of ourselves. We need to review. Number three, we need to live in. Live in what? Live in community. We cannot afford to go to Bedside Baptist. We need the word of God. We need to be challenged. We need the community. We need to be studying a theme. We need to be leaning in. Community is there. If God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is modeling community, what makes us think we know better than him? What makes us think we got a better plan of action? Jesus depended upon the Father in his darkest hour. And was obedient even to the point of death, even when it was inconvenient. And what makes us think we know better? Review, get out, live in community. And number four, we need to proclaim. Proclaim what? Proclaim God's truth to yourself. My dad's a preacher. He would often say, don't listen to yourself. Preach God's truth to yourself. Grab a promise from Scripture. Grab a passage. Uh, grab a biblical character. Do something where it says, I'm immersed. I'm thrown into the depths of your word, O God. Your very voice, O Lord. And I need to hear from you, O God. And I'm going to stand upon the promises of your word. No matter the outcome, I'm going to obey you and leave the consequences up to you. And when I do that, then I will have a sense, a renewed sense, if you will, of God's grace operating in my life. You see, no matter what we are facing, God's grace will keep us. But we need to constantly review. We need to get out. We need to live in. We need to proclaim. And when we do so, we will agree with David that we will trust the Lord and we will 
sing to the Lord. This old, old story I'm reminded of, of a little boy and his mother. They went to the grocery store to get a few things. Mothers, let me just lovingly say this. Can we stop lying to our kids? It's never, it's, let me say it with passion. It's never to get a few things. My mother was notorious for this. I'm getting a few things. Mom, I'm going to stay at the house. This little boy goes to the grocery store with his mom to get a few things. After an hour at the grocery store as he was suffering for Jesus. They get to the checkout line, and there they are at the checkout line, and they're the first people there at the checkout line, this big, tall, six-foot-five, six-foot-six man who's working behind the register. He sees a little boy and his mom. He can probably see the stress on the little boy's face, and he says to the mom, says, my mother, can I give your son some candy? She was like, absolutely. So this man pulls a big bowl out, puts it on the counter. He says, here, son, take as much candy as you like. Little boy looks at the bowl of candy, looks at his mama, looks at the man. He says, uh, no, thank you, sir. No, thank you, sir. No, thank you, sir. Now, his mother's looking at him like he's crazy. I've never known my son to turn down any kind of candy or let alone food in Jesus' name. Well, and so they're going back and forth the whole time. They, well, take some, son. No, thank you, sir. Please take some. No, thank you, sir. And then all of a sudden, the line starts getting long. And so this man does something interesting. He takes his hands, digs down deep in the bowl, and gives it to the boy. Little boy looks at his mom, looks at the man, looks at the candy, and says, oh, thank you, sir. Whoop, thank you, sir. Whoop, thank you, sir. The mother is confused and ticked off. And if she was like, Karen Loritz, when my mama gets mad, her bottom lip goes in like this. <laughs> they go to the car. She puts the groceries in the back of the car. She gets her son situated in the car. Before she even starts the car, she gave that mother look and says, now, boy, why didn't you take the candy the first time? You done had this line all going all long and stuff. Why didn't you do it? Little boy is smiling. She said, why are you smiling? Little boy said, mommy, his hands were bigger. <laughs> See, little boy knew that that man could give me far more than what I can get for myself. His hands are bigger. Are you going through anything today? I declare to you, based upon the authority of Scripture, that our great Father's hands are bigger. Are you weary today? His hands are bigger. Do you have some decisions to make? His hands. But what's in his hands? <laughs> it's grace. God can give you and I far more than what we can give for ourselves. He can do more in your life in a flash than what you can do for yourself in a lifetime. His hands are bigger, church. We need to walk in that confidence today. We need to walk with that Holy Ghost swag. That, yeah, I'm going through something, but his hands are bigger. Yeah, these tears are streaming down my face, but his hands are bigger. In fact, the Bible lets me know that he takes my tears and collects them in a bottle. God is well acquainted with everything that I'm going through. Why? Because, Daddy, your hands are bigger. Father, in the name of Jesus, what a joy it is to be in Jesus. 
What a joy it is, Father, to stand on your truth. This isn't phoning it in. This isn't fake. We all struggle. We all get weary. We all have needs. We all have concerns. Oh, God, thank you for the example of Scripture. David, an imperfect man, is trying to process how he feels. He's pleading. But his conclusions need to be our conclusions that no matter what, Lord, I trust you. No matter what, Lord, I'm going to praise you. Because one thing I know is that you're the rock that won't move and your word is strong. And Lord, you can give us the grace we need because your hands are bigger. Come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am meek and lowly at heart. We lean into you right now, Lord. Help us to reflect on you today. Thank you for this time of worship and prayer and word in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen.